before I became the full-time pastor at Madison Church, I worked as the full-time manager of a Starbucks location here on the west side of Madison. So I was doing two jobs. I was pastoring here, but also making lattes Monday through Friday and sometimes Saturdays and sometimes Sundays. And one of the things that was a constant theme in my conversations with my supervisor were conversations about complacency. And if you're unfamiliar with what complacency is, it's uh, the dictionary term is like, we feel uncritical satisfaction with ourselves. It's when you pat yourself on the back and you don't really deserve it. (laughs) Hey, I did a good job for coming into work on time. Low bar. We expect that from you, okay? But complacency is getting comfortable in just kind of the mundane. And, And we were, Starbucks was totally against that because a drink, a beverage could always be made better. It could always taste better. And if it couldn't taste better, then you should have made it faster. The cafe was never, ever clean enough. There's always something to clean. Always something to clean. And you better believe that the employees can always be friendlier. We would never, ever feel satisfied with our customer service skills. If we got 100%, our supervisor would say, why didn't you get 101%? I'd say, I don't think you do math right. And he'd say, I don't think you care enough. And so we were all about no complacency, whatever. And in other words, okay, in other words, you could say that just okay is not okay. Just okay is not okay. And and Starbucks understood that really well. They are the first and only multi-billion dollar coffee company in the world right now. And it's not because they made okay drinks with okay customer service in okay cafes. They did really great in all of those things. Now, this is something that communities, churches, and all sorts of people um, are starting to understand that just okay isn't okay. So much so that AT&T has come out with a series of commercials that go to further illustrate this point. And I found a highlight reel for you guys to watch. Just okay is not okay. You don't want just an okay tattoo. You don't want just an okay doctor. And if you have kids, well, maybe you'll accept an okay babysitter if it gets you out of the house for a couple hours. But just okay isn't okay. And that's especially true in our relationships. Just okay is not okay. I've never met a guy who is in a long-term relationship with a girl romantically. And he said, I think I'll ask her to marry me. She's just okay. On the flip side, I've never met a girl who said, I guess I'll marry him. He's okay. I'm sure that that's happened, but not that I have met. None of us want just okay relationships. And yet, and yet so many of us feel like we have just okay relationships. All of your Facebook friends, they're just okay. Your family members, they're just okay. Coworkers, they're just okay. Well, if just okay isn't, okay, why do we settle for just okay relationships in our lives? And I think that it comes down to this idea that I want you to hang on to this morning. The reason that so many of our relationships are just okay is because we love people the way we want to be loved, not the way they need to be loved. I want to read that again because I really want it to stick this morning. The reason that so many of our relationships are just okay is because we love people the way we want to be loved, not the way they need to be loved. Today we're concluding our series Relationship Goals, and in week one, we talked about connection goals. If we're going to have the kind of relationships that we want, we got to be willing to connect with each other, which means we have to be vulnerable with each other. 
Anytime you're in a relationship, it's going to lead to confrontation and conflict. So in week two, we talked about healthy ways of dealing with conflict. We warned you not to avoid conflict. It's just going to get worse. Most times, conflict is just going to get worse. So don't be a peacekeeper. Be a peacemaker. Last week, Dan talked about communication goals, how we could have good communication with other people. And that good communication is a way to uh, tell other people that we love them. When we tell other people that we love them, it, well, it's because we're listening and because we know them. If you don't ever listen to someone, you don't know them, they're not going to feel loved. And we're doing this whole entire series because what's the great commandment? Love God, love people. When the religious leaders came to Jesus and asked him, which of the 400 Old Testament laws are the most important? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And the most important commandment is to love God. And he says the second one is equally like it, and it is to love each other. And what I've found in my experience of pastoring and just living and being a family member and a friend is that we are not good at relationships. Like naturally, we are not just naturally good at relationships. If you've ever dated someone or been in a relationship, if you have parents, if you have siblings, you know that relationships are hard. And so we got to talk about relationships all the time, I feel like, especially in the church, especially in the community that's supposed to be known for love, grace, and forgiveness. We should be the best when it comes to relationships. Today, I want to focus on commitment goals. Now, I know what you're thinking. You hear the word commitment. Is he talking about marriage and getting married and being engaged? Possibly. It could definitely include that. But what we've tried throughout this entire series is to cover all of the relationships. If you're a parent, we want to talk about your relationships with your kids. If you have brothers and sisters, let's talk about your siblings, your parents, coworkers, neighbors, and yes, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, all relationships. This series has been for anyone who wants to have better relationships with the people that they love. And I really hope that Dan and I have done a good job at that. Um, I'm sure somebody will let us know if we haven't. Now today, you might be wondering why I have this piggy bank on stage with me. And that's a great question. Um, I asked Ray, my father-in-law, if I could borrow this. And his first reaction was, uh, are you going to break it? Totally unfair. I've only broken like three things on stage. Now, granted, I've only used props like four times. So there's like a 75% chance that I'm going to break it, but I'm not going to break it. Um, this is a piggy bank. You're all very familiar with a piggy bank. A lot of kids have them. They put their spare change in here. And I want to use this as a way to illustrate something that you have with every person that you are in relationship with, and it's a concept known as a relational bank account. You have a relational account with every single person you're in relationship with. You have with your parents, your siblings, kids, coworkers, neighbors. We all have this. And what we want to talk about today is how do you load up? this relational bank account with a ton of equity so that you can have rich relationships with the people who matter um, most to you. Now, today is a very practical message. So for some of you who want to know the nuts and bolts and, and what can I leave and start doing, today is your day. But as everything we've talked about in this series, everything we're talking about is way easier said than done. It's going to require some hard work on your part. So we'll come back to my bank. We're going to spend time in 1 John chapter 3. So if you want to use your Bible apps on your phone, go ahead. We have blue Bibles all over the place. Go ahead and grab those. Of course, the words will be on the screen. And I'm just using one verse today because I want you to memorize it. 
I'm using one verse because it is so profound, it is so deep, it is so wide, it covers a multitude of ideas that I didn't want to distract from it. I just wanted to use just this one so it can sink into us. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John writes, he says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not just say we love each other, but let's show each other that we love each other through the things that we do. Relationships take two people. Absolutely, at least two people. But change begins with you. I want you guys to understand that. Relationships are always more than you. You can't do a relationship by yourself. That's not a relationship, okay? It always takes two people, but change begins with you. It doesn't start with the person that you came with today. I know some of you, you know, you nudge your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're like, hey, I want you to listen to this today. No, no, no. Change starts with you. I want you to resolve this morning that you're going to leave mediocre relationships behind. I want you to say just okay is no longer okay in my relationships. And let's take this verse to heart to not merely say that we love each other, but let's show that truth by our actions. And how can we do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about is how can we show one another that we love one another? Like everything else in the series, easier said than done, we have to take actions certain actions to show other people that we do love them. And going back to this idea of the emotional bank account, the relational bank account, um, if you haven't heard of this, it is a really crucial thing for you to understand in your relationships. I'm not saying come up with a monetary value for your relationships. Oh, he's probably worth like 50 bucks. Oh, he's, he's got a high earning capacity, so we're going to keep him around for a while. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about research done by Dr. John Gottman, who has done... Uh, Seriously, decades of research on successful relationships. He's one of the experts on commitment goals. And instead of trying to tell you what all of his research has found in the last like 50 years, I'm just going to steal the video that the Gottman Institute put out. So this concept is really, really important, okay? And I, I think it does have come down to the way that God has wired us as people and as a community that if it's true, you know, God has made it to be. And so what I want you to really kind of hold on to, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but what I really want you to hold on to is this idea of the ratio. He said for every five good things that we do, uh, one bad thing wipes it out. Now I know that the the girls in the room, the ladies, you guys already knew this. You Like, this is not a new concept for you. You knew that it wasn't an even ratio. But if you're a guy in the room, you need to listen to me, okay? It is not a one-to-one ratio. Just because you woke up a week ago on Friday and said, I love you, doesn't get you off the hook for not buying her flowers on Valentine's Day, okay? It's not a one-to-one ratio. It's five to one. And so that's where the, the emotional bank comes in is that we have to begin to think about our relationships like this. And every five deposits that you put in, that's good, honey, I love you, here's some flowers, here's a nice date, on and on. One thing that hurts will take five good things out of it. And here's what I would suspect then. I would suspect that most of the relationships are just zero, zero right now. You have a zero balance in your relational bank account. There's nothing there. You have nothing to spend. I would go even further of saying that a lot of your relational bank accounts are overdrawn. They're past due. The things that you have done wrong have occurred more frequently than the things 
that you have done right. And as such, you're stressed out. Financial stress in real life, being overdrawn, having that credit card over the limit, that's physical stress, emotional stress, and spiritual stress. And in the same way that financial stress bogs us down, relational stress can bog you down as well. So to speak, every time you're spouse, partner, coworker, boss walks in the room. If you have a negative account, it's almost like that 888 number that's calling you over and over again, asking you to make the minimum payment today. We have a similar physical reaction, don't we? There's this connection between us and other people and how is the relational bank account doing? Well, okay, so let's say you're tracking with me relationship goals. I got to be committed. We have these relational bank accounts, um, zero, zero, or I'm a little in debt. Steven, is there anything that I can do to make it right? And there absolutely is. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. One of the very practical and relatively simple ways that we can earn relational currency um, and to the with the most important people in our lives is by learning the different ways to love people. And so I'm going to lean into the teachings of Dr. Gary Chapman, who spent years counseling married couples. And he wrote the book that I'm sure by now you've all heard of, The Five Love Languages. Um, Even though this book is old, it's still really popular. If you jumped on Twitter right now and searched love languages, you'd no doubt find a tweet, somebody saying, Taco Bell is my love language or long walks on the beach with my babe is my love language. And so it's a concept that's very familiar in our society. It's a concept that as millennials specifically, let me talk to the millennials in the room, that we are tested and tested and tested. We want to know what our personality is. We want to know what our strengths are. We want to know all of this stuff about us. So when it comes to love language, we tend to be really selfish as, as younger people and say, well, what's my love language? That's what I'm most interested in. But I want to flip that because remember, we're talking about relational bank accounts. And I want you to begin to see these five love languages as the currency of your bank account. And what I want you to kind of like figure out here is that a hug to somebody, physical touch, a hug to somebody might only be worth a little bit, might be worth like one penny. So you hug that person 10 times and you essentially have 10 cents. But maybe that quality time is weighed more like a dollar. So it take you like a hundred hugs and a lot of work and a lot of effort to fill that bank account up doing it with physical touch, whereas it would take you just one time with quality time. I want you in your relationships with, with God and each other to work smarter, not harder. And I want you to build up that equity. And so let's briefly just go through these five love languages, these five currencies Um, The first one that Dr. Chapman writes about is quality time. Nothing says I love you like undivided attention. Being present is so critical to these people. It means being there, turning the TV off, putting your phone on, do not disturb mode, stop doing, and just start being. Be present. The equity of loving someone with this love language involves things like go for a walk, play a game, have deep and meaningful conversations. Now, the flip side of that, so that's how you put money in your bank account, your emotional bank account. The withdrawals will look like something when they're talking to you and your phone vibrates and you, you just... Sorry, wait, what did you say? That is so hurtful to somebody who has a quality time because what you just told them was like, you're most important right now, but oh wait, almost anything on my phone popping up right now is more important than you are. And so that's the withdrawal that we make. 
And, and so being conscious of that. The second one is receiving gifts. Love is felt through the thoughtfulness and the effort behind a gift. The perfect gift or gesture shows that you're known, that you're cared for, that you're prized above whatever else was sacrificed to bring the gift to you. Um, this could be like purchasing someone's favorite treat or buying a specific something or another that this person has wanted for a while, hasn't bought themselves, and you get it for them, and that's how you communicate that you love them. Now, the flip side of that, what's the withdrawal? Well, if you miss their birthday, anniversary, you get a thoughtless gift, that's a withdrawal to that person who communicates through receiving gifts. We have acts of service is the third one. Hearing the words, I'll vacuum, I'll clear the table, yes, I'll do the dishes, and then follow it up by them actually doing it is how you communicate love to that person. Anything done to ease the burden of responsibilities weighing on the person will speak volumes. The words that they want to hear the most is, let me do that for you. Now, the withdrawals will be laziness, forgetting to do something that you said you're going to do. Oh, yeah, I'll do that, and then not doing it. That's a withdrawal. And making more work for someone with this love language um, will tell them essentially that their feelings don't matter. Then we move on to words of affirmation. This is when uh, this is the action of giving and receiving thoughtful words. It's more than just, I love you. It's communicating why you love someone. It's communicating thoughtful things about someone and hearing reasons why you care about them. Um, the withdrawal here is probably snark and sarcasm and words that cut and words that hurt. Those are the withdrawals. And then there's physical touch. And contrary to what I think everyone thinks, this is not about sex. It can include sex, but not limited to sex, okay? So I just want to make sure that that's Clarified, hugging, pats on the back, holding hands, high fives, all of those things are gestures of physical touch that can put a deposit in a physical touches person's bank account, okay? Now it is important to always ask permission first, okay? Always ask permission before you hug someone or hold their hands. I'm not trying to be like oversensitive here, but we don't know everybody's story. We don't know the trauma that they might have experienced, especially if they're a physical touch person. If they'd been physically abused or neglected, just coming in and hugging them might actually cause an, the opposite reaction of what you're hoping for. So anytime I'm up here when I'm praying, I always ask the person, can I hold your hand? Is it okay if I put my hands on you? Is it okay if I hug you? And almost every time they say yes, but sometimes they don't, and that's okay. I don't need to understand why it's not, but I want to respect them in that. And so we want to make sure that we get permission first. Now, every one of those love languages, all five of these, th that's currency. You can do any one of those five. I know that we're like, well, this is my love language. Yes, there are some that are more bang for your buck, absolutely. But it's not like you're going to give a gift to somebody and that doesn't count for something. It's not like you're not going to serve somebody and that doesn't count for something. It may not count as much as the words of affirmation or physical touch would to that person, but it all adds up. And that's what we're talking about is building equity in our relationships. I mean, you, now I want you to be smart and I want you to figure out with the relationships with the people that you have around you, what one does give you more bang for your buck? What's a better investment for your time in loving that person? How can you double some things up so that way when you do mess up and you will mess up, your relationship isn't cracked, fractured, or broken, that it can stay healthy and strong. Remember, the reason that so many of our relationships are just okay is because we love people the way we want 
to be loved, not the way that they need to be loved. And I'll share a little personal example of this. Um, we were invited to Nick and Phoebe's home yesterday for lunch, and uh, it was an amazing time. It really was. We had a great time, and we put a lot of deposits. I think it's safe to say we put a lot of deposits in each other's relational bank accounts. We were investing in the relationship. Um, we got a couple uninterrupted hours with them in their home, and it was awesome. We spent quality time together. Nick played with our boys until it looked like he was going to have an asthma attack on the couch. Um, it was awesome. They made us, I mean, seriously, the most delicious, authentic Indian food I've ever had in my life. And I mean, I haven't had a lot, but it was, it was good. It was great. It was amazing. And then while we were eating, they kept filling our drinks. They kept getting us more food to eat until literally I could not eat anymore. I was just like, I couldn't if I wanted to. I want to, and I can't. They served us. Um, we brought over some beer as a gift to share with them. We ended the time with hugs. And once I got home, I couldn't help but text Phoebe to just say, hey, I really appreciate you guys opening your home. That was an awesome time that we had together. I'm, I'm thankful for our friendship. You know, bada bing, bada boom. Now, so... Those were like five positive things that I just mentioned that happened yesterday, right? Now I'm talking about them on stage, on video, so they just got ruled out. So now we're even again, right? It's zero, zero. But that, that, that's kind of how it works with the relationships, is that we're constantly putting in or taking out. And so as you think about the people in your life, it doesn't have to be this big extravagant thing like they showed in the video with the airplane that had the banner, I love you, flying off the back. It can be as simple as lunch with friends, undivided attention, just having a good time. And we begin to do that and develop those relationships so in those times that we do mess up, our relationship won't crash and burn. Remember how we started this. John writes, don't merely say that we love each other. Show the truth by your actions. God did not sit in heaven and say, I love you, and good luck. No, in John 3, 16, God loved us so much that he gave. He put it together. He didn't just say, hey, you know, I love you. Hope it works out for you. Doesn't look real great. Um, no, he put love into action. Jesus came on this earth, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we all deserved. And that was an act of love every day, every single moment. Now, I think that today, this was really tangible for some of you. And you're like, okay, I know what I can do. I can go home and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to start investing in the most important relationships in my life. And I'm going to start building up equity and that's great. And I think that on the other hand, whether you're listening or watching online, or maybe you are in the room and, and acknowledging that everyone's on different walks, but maybe you're just too tired. Maybe you're just like really discouraged. We've done this whole relationship series and, and you know, and your marriage isn't better, or your partnership isn't better or whatever. It's like, oh no, it's actually, you know, we started February and it was okay. And now we're kind of getting to the end here and it's not. Okay. I get it. I get that what I'm saying might sound easy. It's hard to practice, but here's what I want to end today on, and I want to end the entire series on, and if you've floated away mentally, come back to me for one moment. God wants to give you the ability to love when you don't feel like it. We've talked for four weeks on relationships, and you might feel like, I don't have any love to give, and I would say that that is not true. God wants 
to give you the ability to love. He will help you do it when you can't do it on your own. And I'm not just saying that because you're in church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying that because I've experienced it in my own life. I'm saying it because I've seen other people experience it in their life. And I'm saying it because I know that you will experience it in your life. It reminds me of something that Paul writes to the Romans. He says, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with the troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. When our relationship with God we're never left feeling shortchanged. God is constantly investing in our relational bank account. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. The promise here is that God will love you and that God will love you so much that your cup will overflow with love so that you can love the people around you, the people you want to love, the people you don't want to love. God will give you so much love that you'll be able to love them. But the question is now that we come to the end of the message and we come to the end of the series, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to pray that God will help us to love better? And then are we willing to take steps to love better? Are we willing to leave this place and say, I, I want to invest in someone else's relationship, even if they don't want to invest in me.